0: If you've ever played in an orchestra or a band, uh, I'm sure you would agree that it's pretty important to have a conductor. There needs to be somebody who decides what to play and how to play it. Otherwise, everyone's doing their own thing. The brass section, as a former brass player, I can tell you we tend to drown out everyone unless we're controlled. The woodwinds might interpret the song very differently than the strings, and the drums will do whatever they want, of course. But The conductor keeps it all together. Same song, same expression, the same tempo and volume. So by submitting to the authority of the conductor, individuals accomplish something far greater than they could individually. Authority when uh, my very small, insignificant college basketball team played a preseason game against Penn State. Uh, we were very excited. There are several divisions above us. And uh, our coach decided that we would stall the ball. That was before the shot clock was invented. He said, I, I would... Rather, we lose 10 to 4 than 100 to 40. It was the most inspiring pregame speech ever. So the idea was that we would just pass the ball until somebody had a ridiculously easy layup or open shot, and we would stall. Well, a couple of minutes into the game, we were actually ahead 4 to 2. We were amazed. We're ahead of Penn State. Shocking. I was very excited, was past the ball, and really, there's no shot I ever didn't like to take, and I saw an opening, and I decided to go for it, and Penn State kind of closed in on me, but nothing was going to stop me from taking that shot, not even the coach going, no, which he did, and I took the shot, and it missed, and Penn State had a fast break, and Scored, and immediately there was a timeout. And immediately the coach pulled me aside and said, You've disobeyed me, get it in the bench. And I didn't play the rest of the game, and we lost 100 to 40. <laughs> Rejected his authority. A little later, the coach was also thrown out of the game by a greater authority, the referee. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield described herself as a committed and comfortable lesbian until she put her faith in Christ. And she writes that uh, as an unbelieving professor of English and an opponent of all meta-narratives like Christianity, I found peace and purpose in my life as a lesbian and the queer community I helped to create. Then she met Jesus and she experienced the explosive power of the good news. Today, she is married to a pastor. She's the mother of four, an outspoken follower of Jesus. Listen to Dr. Butterfield describe an encounter that she had with a, a female authority figure not long after her conversion. She writes this, When I entered her office, she directed me to a comfortable chair and said, Rosaria, I, I want you to change your message. I asked her what I ought to change in my message, and she said, Tell people that it's only in your opinion that homosexual practice is a sin, and I responded that I'm not smart enough to have this opinion, but that this is the opinion the inspired and errant word of God upholds. I told her that changing my message would involve denying the plain meaning of scripture, the testimony of the church, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the gospel. But before she met Jesus, Rosaria saw the Bible as dangerous and irrational. But once her faith was in Christ, she knew life could not be governed by personal preference, but by the authority of the Word of God. Authority. Recognizing authority is crucial in life. And certainly, authority can be and is abused in all sectors of society because we live in a sinful world. But I want to ask you today, what's the authority in your life? To whom do you listen and follow and serve and obey. As we continue studying Mark's story of Jesus, the authority of Jesus is the issue. We see that uh, as we begin in Mark chapter 11, verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? So we have these three groups, the priests, the scribes, and the elders who confront Jesus. And these are the three groups that made up what is known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of Jewish law. Uh, There were 71 members who were the religious leaders over Israel. And, And this delegation from the Sanhedrin wants to know what right Jesus has to do these things. So what are these things? Well, he's just finished chasing people out of the temple He's just finished overturning the tables in the temple. He's just finished saying and teaching that the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And they've turned it into a den of thieves. So they're asking, why are you messing around with our jurisdiction? You have no title. You know I have no authorization. Who do you think you are? And so for the seventh time in this gospel, Jesus answers a question with a question. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. So what does this have to do with their question? John the Baptist had been a hugely popular figure who announced the coming Savior, who prepared the way of the Lord. And he pointed to Jesus as that Savior, the Messiah. And he said, I'm not even worthy to untie this man's sandals. And John baptized Jesus. And when he did, the heavens ripped open, and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, and the voice of God said, this is my Son whom I love. And so, if John was sent by God, if he was from heaven, then Jesus was too. And so the leaders are stuck, and they discuss this. Dialogistai is the, the Greek word, uh, verse 31. They, they, they dialogued amongst themselves, trying to find a way around Jesus' words. Because they reasoned that if they said John's authority came from heaven, then they'd have to accept Jesus as well. If they said John's authority came from man, then the people would attack, be upset, because they thought they, John was a great prophet. And so they answered Jesus and said, We don't know. And Jesus says, Well, I'm not going to answer your question either. But then Jesus tells a parable that answers their question. Now, sometimes chapter divisions are not very helpful, and that's the case here. There's a chapter division where chapter 12 starts, and it might seem to the casual reader that this is something new, but actually it's a continuation. Understand, chapter divisions are not inspired, neither are verse divisions inspired. And so it actually hinders the story and keeps us from understanding that the parable that Jesus tells, verse 1 says, now he begins to speak to them in parables. Who's the them? The priests, the scribes, the elders. He's going to tell them. Them this story and amazingly by the end of the story these leaders know that it's about them this parable is enormously important so i want to share it with you and then i want to show you how it answers three questions here are the questions where does jesus get his authority what happens if i reject jesus authority and how do i live under the authority of jesus so we're going to look at this parable and then answer these three questions. First, look at how brilliantly this, Jesus tells this parable. Uh, verse 1 continues, and he starts this way, a, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So Jesus was using an image that was very familiar with his audience. Uh, this man creates a vineyard by uh, buying and planting grapevines, and he builds a fence to protect those tender plants as they grow from the animals. And he digs a pit where the juice would be collected. The pit would have looked something like this. At one end, it would have this upper part that was wide and shallow, and the grapes would be dumped into that. And then there would be a pipe or a trench from that wide, shallow pit into a lower pit so that when the grapes were pressed, the juice would run through that pipe or that trench and be collected in the lower pit. So that's what the owner built. And then he also, Jesus says, built a tower. This was a guard post for the vineyard. There you could spot thieves coming to steal your harvest. It was like an ancient ring doorbell that was set up so that they could protect their their property. And once it was all built... The owner rented it out and went on a trip. Now this leasing arrangement was important because it would take five years for a vine to produce grapes that were suitable for pressing. And if the caretakers did not do their job, the vines would not grow properly and a huge investment would be lost. The owner soon learns that his tenants are horrible. Jesus continues, verse 2. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenant to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So the renters refused to pay, they refused to give the owner what is due, and on top of that, they beat up, they rough up the servant who comes to collect. So Jesus goes on and says the owner sends another servant. They hit that servant on the head and abuse him and send him away. So the owner sends a third servant and this time the tenants kill him. And Jesus says the owner sends many others. Some of them are brutalized. Others are killed. And finally the owner does something shocking. Verse 6. He had one left to send. A son whom he loved. He sent him Last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So after the tenants have attacked and killed numerous servants, the owner's last resort is to send his only beloved son. But instead of respecting this son, the renters saw this as their chance to take everything. Because obviously if the owner didn't come, he's either too weak, too scared, or he's dead And so, if they kill his only heir, then they would have it all. They would have the entire vineyard. And so, they commit premeditated murder. And the son is not even given a proper burial, he's cast outside like garbage. Jesus asks, verse 9, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel the owner has been beyond patient at this point. He had years of outrageous defiance. The final blow is the murder of his beloved son. And I would think that most no one would question that the owner has the right to bring judgment. Of course, he doesn't destroy the vineyard. He doesn't do that. He just destroys the evil servants, the tenants. And then he brings in new tenants to take care of his vineyard. So let's answer these three questions, because this is... Jesus' answer to the question of those leaders. Where does Jesus get his authority? Well, you identify the characters in the story. The owner of the vineyard is God, the the maker and owner of all things. The vineyard represents his people, Israel. The evil tenants are the religious leaders, the ones who are standing in front of and confronting Jesus at that very moment. And the beloved son of the owner is Jesus himself. This basically is a brief history of God's dealing with Israel. As God has continually sent prophets to call His people to repent, to urge them to turn away from their sin and their idolatry and back to the Lord. And the prophets warned God's people to put away their idols and to worship the Lord only with sincerity of heart. But the prophets were rejected. Uh, They were ridiculed. They were ignored and beaten and murdered. But in the fullness of time, God sent His one and only Son. The Father has many servants, but only one son. God in the flesh. Jesus entered our world in the authority of God the Father, as Hebrews 1 says, that God has appointed to us by His Son, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. But just like the son in the parable, Jesus was being rejected. And soon these same religious leaders would arrange Jesus' public execution. Jesus is the owner's son sent to his own people uh, who are now plotting his murder. Uh, In a few days he would be killed like a common criminal. Jesus declared throughout his ministry that he and the Father are one which was blasphemous to these religious leaders. Every miracle Jesus did was proof that he was God in the flesh. Every detail of his life fulfilled the ancient prophecies that he was the Messiah. At Jesus' baptism, and again on the mountaintop, uh, the the, the Father announced, this is my beloved Son whom I love. Uh, Listen to him. So where does Jesus' authority come from? Heaven itself. Heaven itself. Jesus is not merely a good teacher, a glorious role model, a great leader. He is the eternal Son of God who is heir of all things. That's the point that Jesus makes to these elders. So that's the first question. Second question, what happens if I reject Jesus' authority? Now it's pretty easy to spot the bad guys here. The owner built the vineyard, he hired the tenants, his money funded the business. Not only did the tenants refuse to, to give the owner what was rightfully his, they assaulted his representatives and killed his son. So of course they deserve justice. They aren't simply ungrateful and dishonest, they are thieves and murderers. And so the owner comes and destroys them. That's the word that Jesus uses. Uh, so he doesn't put them on per- probation. He doesn't give them two weeks' uh, notice. He wipes them out. The word destroy, apolumai is the, is the Greek word. And it means to ruin, to put to death. And so if I reject Jesus, I will be destroyed. Does that sound harsh? Well, I, I, I love this illustration. I, it, it has always helped me. Let me share it with you. Suppose a middle school student, while during class, punches another student in the class. What happens? Well, I'd assume that that student would be given detention. Now, suppose during detention, this same boy then punches a teacher. What happens? Well, likely that student would be suspended from school. Suppose on the way home from being suspended, that same boy punches a policeman in the nose. What happens? Well, I suppose he finds himself arrested. Suppose some years later that same boy is in a crowd waiting to see the President of the United States, uh, and, and he lunges forward as the President passes by and punches at the President. What happens? Well, he would likely be shot dead by the Secret Service. So the point is that in every case, the crime is the same. The boy does the same thing every single time. What's different? Well, the severity of the crime is measured by the one against whom it is committed. It's severe based on against whom it is committed. So therefore, when it comes to rejecting the gift of God that is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the the ultimate punishment for that is everlasting destruction. When we sin against the God of the universe and that is not dealt with, then the punishment is the most severe possible. And and let me underscore for you that it's not just the dishonest. It's not just the violent who reject the authority of Jesus. It is whenever you try to rule your own life, to be your own authority, to live for yourself apart from God, to count on making your own way, earning your own salvation, being your own savior, that's when you're guilty it's when you live in this world that God has created and do not honor him do not receive the love that he offers in his only son that rejection brings destruction and you lose everything so after telling this parable Jesus says this verse 10 have you not read this scripture by the way that's kinda funny cuz these are the experts in scripture and yes they've read this scripture They know it. Jesus quotes it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So, yes, these scripture experts have read this, but they've not understood what it really means. And Jesus takes this well-known scripture and applies it to himself. These religious leaders are the builders, and they have rejected Jesus as having no place in their plan. He doesn't fit their expectations as Messiah or in any other way. And so they discard Him. But Jesus says this stone that you have rejected is actually the cornerstone for everything that God is doing. Now this uh, cornerstone is the principal block around which all ancient construction was achieved. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery calls the cornerstone the focal point of the building... Uh, on which it most depends for structural integrity. So this cornerstone determines the size and the shape and the stability of the entire structure. And Jesus says, that stone is me. The kingdom of God that that God is building is founded on Jesus, and without Him, the building has no value, no future. Jesus is the centerpiece of history. As Ephesians 2.20 says, He is the chief cornerstone. And the religious leaders... His own people tossed him aside as useless, schemed to put him to death. But the Father was using the cornerstone to build a new creation made up of Jew and Gentile, male and female, black and white, rich and poor, building them all into one church founded on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So here's their response. Verse 12. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So the religious leaders they understood this story was about us, and they're ready to get rid of Jesus right then and there. But the crowd was with Jesus, and so they left. And several days later, they had Jesus arrested uh, based on his betrayal and put to death. They tossed Jesus aside as useless. But He is the centerpiece of human history. The only Savior. There is no plan B. There is no other way. And to reject Him is destruction. Third question. How do I live under the authority of Jesus? How do I live under His authority? Now there is some character in the parable that I have yet to identify. Um, And it's important. When the owner destroys the evil tenants who murdered his son, he gives the vineyard to others. The others are the new tenants. They're the new workers brought in to make the vineyard fruitful. The evil tenants did not honor the owner. They did not give him what he deserved. They rejected his authority. They rejected his son. They worked for themselves. When Matthew in his gospel tells this parable, uh, Jesus, he quotes Jesus as saying that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. And these new workers now have the chance to respect the owner and to produce for the owner. Who are these new workers? Who are the others? They are the new people of God. They are all the followers of Jesus. Jesus. The twelve disciples and every single one of us who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes that God has raised Him from the dead. All who put their faith in Christ are part of this new workforce. So how do I live under Jesus' authority? I honor Him as the owner. I serve in His vineyard. And Jesus puts it another way in His final instruction to His followers after the resurrection. He says in Matthew 28... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do I live under the authority of Jesus? I go. I go. I live recognizing that God owns everything and that I am His representative. I am His ambassador to every person I meet. I honor the Lord with my life. I spread the good news of Jesus and make disciples of the nations. Now for the past six months or so, we have offered many opportunities to you for training in gospel conversations, training how to share the good news of Jesus Christ simply, clearly, consistently. There will be more chances. Every one of you who claims to follow Jesus needs to take that training, or you need to be a trainer. Those are your two options. And that will help you to share the message that God has given whenever you have opportunity. Every year we offer multiple short-term trips to places like Cuba and Southeast Asia. And our teams go there and share the gospel with people who've never heard about Jesus. What a great privilege that is. There will be more trips and there will be more countries. And if you love Jesus and you're physically able to travel, you should go. From early in her history, Cyprus Bible Church has been supporting and sending out global workers. Some of our very own from the earliest days, like the McGinty's and the Halelah's, have served for decades. We have two other families who have been preparing to go to an unreached people group. And we'll do so, Lord willing, in the next year or two. So you need to know our global workers and care for them and support them and pray for them. Next weekend is our Go Conference. Among the events is this lunch that happens after church where where we'll hear from some of our global workers. You need to be there to show your interest and your support in the spread of the good news. It's as simple as that. And also, you're going to have an opportunity to make a pledge to support our mission program. And if you claim to follow Jesus, you need to make that pledge. You see, when we're living under the authority of Jesus, then you're asking God all the time, what more can I give? What do you want me to give of my money, my energy, my time, so that the gospel can move forward? What more can I do to spread the message that Jesus is the Savior of the world? How can I pray for and encourage these workers who are going to the nations with the gospel? That's the prayer. And so here's the answer to each of those three questions that I can sum up in one word. Where does Jesus get his authority? Heaven. What happens if I reject Jesus' authority? Destruction. How do I live under Jesus' authority? Go. Mickey Moore and his wife are Christian musicians. And Mickey tells of a time when they were packing up after a concert, and uh, they sent a woman that they knew well to go pick up their children. Now the children did not know this woman, and so Mickey told her the secret family code word so that their son Trevor, the oldest, would know that this lady was authorized to pick them up. And Mickey says, a little later I received the phone call. Trevor refused to leave. And he said, Mickey said, the mix-up was mine because I, I had thought the secret code word was monster. This is a terrible secret code word. And my son informed me that it was incorrect. He said, it's dinosaur. Mickey said, are you sure? I'm, I'm certain it was monster. I'm sure, Trevor said confidently. Mickey said, well, okay, son, you're probably right but it's okay for you to come back to the church with this lady. There was silence on the other end. Finally, Trevor said, Who is this? That's the question every one of you must answer of Jesus. Who is this? The answer is clear. This is the Son of the living God, the Savior of all who believe. And even though God the Father is extremely patient, He will not tolerate the rejection of His only Son. Accept the authority of Jesus or lose everything. And when you accept His authority, you're given a mission. Go make disciples. And you can do that with assurance because you go in His authority. All authority in heaven and earth given to me. Go. And you go knowing His promise to be with you to the very end of the age. You go confident that the ultimate triumph is His no matter what else happens in between. Because history is headed in one direction. And the day described in Revelation is coming. The day when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He will reign forever and ever. So don't ignore Him. Don't cast Him aside. Don't treat Him as unimportant or irrelevant. Honor the one in whom resides all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and represent the one who gives us the victory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise be to His name. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. For the authority that is yours, thank you that you are the cornerstone in whom we trust. Lord, we exalt your name today. Give us the courage and confidence in you to do what you call us to do. For your honor and glory, in the name of Christ we pray, amen.